You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Ryan Livergood. That's right, we are the Fantasy Joes. Joining me this evening, as always, we've got from the home office in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's Will Greenwood, everybody. Couldn't be more excited to have Ryan Miller on the podcast tonight. Super stoked to talk about the rookies this year. So, first of all... And also, it's rainy and cold here. <laughs> yeah, it's rainy and cold here as well. What's it like in North Carolina, where Trey Barrett is right now? I'm just snacking on some chocolate chip cookies, man. So, doing pretty well. Will kind of ruined the intro of our guest there. Jumped the gun a little bit. Now it's a little awkward, like I could tell you felt obligated to introduce me, but really kind of wanted to skip over me and jump right to the, the, the new Ryan. So, I'm, I'm calling I'm him replacement spot Trey, right now. But. So. Right. Nice, nice to be uh, well, nice to be hanging out with you guys. Well, it can be a replacement for either. I'm a road librarian at Ryan Livergood. So the, our guest Ryan Miller could replace either one of us because his name is Ryan and he's also from North Carolina. Ryan Miller, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yep, as I said, Ryan Miller, super stoked to be on. Just uh, ready to talk some dynasty. We're, we're so excited to have Ryan on. So he. Uh, this is, is it kind of burst on the scene. He's a new writer for DLF. And Ryan, you really blew up the past couple of weeks because you, you put this thread on Twitter about the running back class. So you did a study, um, analytical study about the running backs and also wide receivers as well. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but before we jump into that, we just want to quickly talk about rookie draft observations because everyone's doing that right now. We're either in rookie drafts, rookie auctions. So, Ryan, to put you on the spot, anything that you're observing, are you in any rookie drafts right now? Is there anything that really stands out in your mind? Any, anything that you're seeing that's, that's kind of a trend, unusual? Any advice like, from the things you're seeing in your rookie drafts? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the biggest thing right now is that I love the beginning of the second round, back of the first round. And so if I have a mid-first, that's already kind of a mixed bag of what you're going to get in the middle of the first round. I would love to trade back, get maybe a late first, mid-second, and try to throw two darts on the board and get – some great value there. Um, I think the 103 is also super cheap just because everybody's talking about Josh Jacobs and Nikhil Harry right now or um, Kyler Murray and Superflex. And I think that, that the 101 and the 102 are just so highly priced right now that the 103 is kind of being overlooked. And it's a great rookie class. I mean, everyone talks about 2020, but the top of this first round is pretty great as well. And so I think the 103 is kind of a sneaky – value compared to where the 101 and 102 are being talked about right now yeah i think that's that's great advice especially that looking at the late first early second second or second round in general i mean there is there's a lot of value in this draft and it's gonna have a strategy going in who would be who would be five for you right now in a, in a one quarterback league uh five right now would probably be kind of the aj brown area because i really like um Nikhil Harry, uh, Josh Jacobs, especially after Crowell's injury. Um, I'm, I'm really high on David Montgomery, higher than some other people are, I would say. And then um, just kind of 104, I kind of would rather have the upside, someone like DK Metcalf or somebody in that area before A.J. Brown just because of Tennessee, but probably A.J. Brown at 105. Okay, so moving like Sanders back to 106. Mm. Yeah, Sand- Sanders, just because that committee – Kind of makes me nervous, but running back is obviously a premium. So I'd say Metcalf or Sanders at 104, 
either either one I could see, and then AJ Brown just kind of has a lower ceiling, I would say. That's that's very interesting. Um, yeah, Miles Sanders seems to be one of those high risers. Most drafts I've seen him go go earlier, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think the committee backfield is a concern, and that's one of the big questions going into the year for me is is what is that backfield in Philadelphia going to look like? Trey Barrett. Yeah what about you in terms of rookie drafts observations? You've done more rookie drafts than anybody I know, my friend. So what are you seeing out there? Well, I'm seeing I'm getting a lot of shares of Miles Sanders. And <laughs> when he gets 275 <laughs> touches this year, I'm going to laugh in the face of everybody that knew that they had the Philadelphia offensive play calling and running back usage completely figured out based on Wendell Smallwood and Corey Clement and a one-legged Jay Ajayi. So – um, that's that's one of my welcome to Thunderdome observations. Right um, Two words, but, Jordan Howard. But pri- pri- <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot they spent a seventh round draft pick on Jordan Howard. No, I I I do have a couple observations. One is don't be afraid to take your guy. I have been personally tempted in several spots where I was maybe in the early second. Um, to mid-second, and some of the guys I really liked in that range had already gone off the board. And I was staring down like a J.J. Arcega-Whiteside who had quote-unquote fallen from where his ADP is, but I'm also staring down like an Alexander Madison, that I, which I really like. And so for me, I would kind of rather have Madison than J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. But because Arcega-Whiteside is this value, I, there's this temptation to take – the value, right? Don't take the player you like better. Take the guy that's a quote-unquote better value. It's just, that's, I think, human nature. So what I would say, stick to your board, stick to your um, brand, whatever it is you're aiming to accomplish. Um, And and then the other thing is don't pre-draft. And I know that sounds kind of silly, and there's people out there that will, like, berate you for not pre-drafting in your rookie draft, but you have an eight or a 10 or a 12 hour clock or whatever it is designated. I can't tell you how many times I've seen trades happen in rookie drafts where, you know, someone traded out of a a spot and you were kind of blown away at what they got in return. I I was in the, um, I want to say it was like 204 and I had picked like 202, 203 and 204. And I had them all pre-drafted and I was like, you know what, I'm going to wait. And I went in and changed them. At 202 and 203, I had a couple inquiries, but nothing serious. So I made those picks. I didn't – Daniel Jones was kind of the next guy on the board. It's a super flex league, but I, I literally have five quarterbacks in that league because they were kind of devalued in the startup. And so I ended up getting an offer for a guy that has Eli and won a quarterback, and I got James Washington for the 204. And I was stoked. I mean, he – if I had pre-drafted, maybe he still would have sent me the offer after I took Daniel Jones. but you know, I was considering not taking Daniel Jones. So the moral of the story is just, you know, don't just stick and pick. Shop the pick, see what you get offered, and see if there's anyone that wants to move up and, and grab the pick. I mean, if there's someone you love there, it doesn't mean there's still not a price that you'd sell the pick, right? Maybe you're on the clock at a certain pick and you really love who's fallen to you. There are offers out there that would come across that would cause you to still sell the pick. So take your time, shop around, and – and um, take your guys. Trey, what about uh, snag, snagging up Daniel Jones there and then trading one of your other quarterbacks for a player? Well, I'll be honest. It's a team that had Tyreek Hill, 
And so I really kind of needed to fill in a little bit of uh, wide receiver. I, I had taken Nikhil Harry in the first round. Um, and, you know, I, I added several running backs. So, I mean, the worst of my other quarterbacks is, is Josh Rosen, who I don't really like the idea of selling. Actually, that's not true. I also have Marcus Mariota. Those are two of my five quarterbacks. But I, I just don't really feel like at, at that point, like Daniel Jones is worth a shot. But to be able to get a guy like James Washington, um, you know, when I already had the five quarterbacks, I just kind of felt like that was the – I think he's got an opportunity. You know, Washington is a guy that I really like. He, he's a guy that Waldman was pretty high on. And so I, I think that he's a, a guy that could see some production this year and see a nice little boost in value. So it was a pretty easy trade for me to make there. Will Greenwood, what about you? What are you seeing out there? Uh, well, so I've had two rookie drafts. One is very unique because it was a start to tight end league. I talked with you guys about, and the other one was a pretty standard uh, PPR, and then a you know a one and a half PPR for for tight ends. And I, I was kind of floored about some of the decisions, uh, not decisions, just say the way draft pick, draft picks went. So in this one, uh, like Daryl Henderson went the, the one hundred and seven, um, and then we had uh, it, was, it was pretty standard in the top four. I see people taking the three running backs and Nikhil Harry in the top four is the most common out- outcome. Um, that, that I think will happen. Like, if people are going to have me guess what's going to happen in their drafts, that's what I would think would happen. Uh, but anyway, so I was able to scoop up – I didn't have any picks until the second round, but I was able to scoop up Keem Butler and then Damian Harris in, in the 208 and 209 in the 12-team league. Um, the big faller – and one guy who I'm actually interested in, like, grabbing in every third round that I can is Deontay Johnson at the moment for the Steelers. He's slipped very far. And even if it's a wasted pick in the third round, that doesn't really bother me that much at all. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with taking that risk for what the Steelers can do and how that wide receiver core isn't solidified in my mind, uh, you know, compared to a lot of other places that he could land in, especially the draft capital they use. So I've been trying to, you know, kind of grab him later. The other one is, uh, and I did this right away in both of them, is, is scrub, the, scrub the waiver wire heavily after the draft. You know, don't forget to grab dudes that weren't drafted uh, at all. In that two tight end league, I picked up Foster Moreau. Uh, he was on the waiver wire for a few bucks. And then uh, I actually chose somebody ahead of my, my main man, Quadri Olison, and, and uh, I lost in a tiebreaker for a $5 fab bid. And I just kicking myself because you get 100 offseason dollars and I only put $5 on them. And just like, why not spend more? There's, this is what fab is for, is to take the shots on those guys. There's a taxi squad and everything like that. But, you know, you, you're going to miss out on – you know, 95 plus percent of all these people. But as the great Michael Scott once said, you miss every shot you don't take. I love that last bit of advice, Will. When your drafts are over, yeah, you, you probably have some scrubs on the back end of your roster, depending on your deeper league is. And so check who's out there. You know, take those running backs that are in interesting situations. Um, we were talking about the the Florida running back, trade Was it Jordan Scarlett, right? I forget his name. Yeah. Yep, that's him. For example, him. He's not going to get drafted. And if you've got it in a deep enough league, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, his chances of being relevant are super low. We look at that Jeb chart in Carolina, it's CMC and nobody else. So why not take a flyer on him if you've got the space, right? He's going to cost you nothing. And there are many, many guys like that, as, as we, we've alluded to. I think we talked about a lot of them in the last episode. And I didn't even reference it. I picked up Philip Lindsay and Aaron Jones in the league. We're all three in uh, off the waiver wire that I thought were both just, I mean, one was early in the season, but the other one was after the, the draft happened. And, you just never know. I guess like it's just such a low risk. Yeah, for sure. 
my advice i'm in a, a you know obviously several rookie drafts one that's going on right now i didn't have really any picks in i i think i had like the 411 four run rookie draft and my advice if you don't have a lot of picks in a draft is still stay engaged because you don't know who's going to drop and i don't advise trading future 2020 picks but you might have some veterans you don't want to keep on your team and you can trade into a draft so this is a league that's converting to superflex i was able to trade into the 106 and i was able to get Dwayne haskins and then uh, before the podcast started, I was able to make a deal to acquire Alexander Madison, who uh, slipped to the third round, who, who I'm really high on. So stay engaged in those drafts. Even those drafts, you don't have any rookie picks because you never know. Guys might slip, and maybe you can go on there and trade some guys off your rosters you don't like for guys that slip. Because uh, so, I think it's real easy if you don't have any draft picks or you know, late picks. Like, ah, I don't really care what's going on. I'll just kind of casually pay attention. But if you're, if you're engaged – and you see this guy slips to a spot and someone's on the clock, send those offers, make it happen. All right, guys. So we transition into talking about uh, Ryan's models in terms of projecting Wait. these rookie running backs. And no, I guess not. Will what? Shouldn't we get Ryan's rookie draft advice? <laughs> he, he gave it first, didn't he? Okay. I still don't know if he'd experienced like things that he's seen in the league. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, actually I'm in Go. a super involved uh, dynasty league and um, James Connor last off season with with the Le'Veon Bell drama going on um you wouldn't guess that our league was too involved by knowing this but um he was out on the waiver wire for just five weeks and I was just looking one random July day and saw him out there and just scooped him up and then <laughs> just rode him all year so yeah definitely stay engaged and I like what you said about the end of the rookie drafts too even if you don't have a pick um it's a great spot to just move up when other guys get their first two or three guys that they really like, and then just kind of get bored with it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. It's all, it's all about being an active engaged and paying attention. Speaking of paying, paying attention, you know, Ryan, when you uh, first joined DLF, we started following you on Twitter. You know, we, you and I communicate a little bit through some uh, DMs and then you're, you, you know, you, you blew up on Twitter when you posted this thread about, the rookie running backs. You did a study of rookie running backs. And can, can you tell us about that, this model that you set up, this analytical model, and, you know, what, what you put into it? Like, not, don't get too analytical because we have some people listening that are not necessarily <laughs> analytical people, but some of the basics and what you discovered um, w- with this rookie running back class. Yeah, so um, I, went to, I went out, I got, saw all the rookie running backs after the draft. You know, there was a lot of hype going out about pretty much every player. So I kind of wanted to sift through that a little bit. And I was just thinking, um, what's the quickest way a rookie running back can get on the field? And the two that I always came back to were pass protection and receiving ability. Just easiest way to get any kind of limited work out there. And so I took, I made a model of every rookie running back in 2019 that was drafted. And I got their, their draft capital, their conference strength of schedule, just to see how they did against um, excellent competition. I checked their um, reception market share just on a team-wide level, how, if they um, could just beat out the guys on their own team for receiving work, um, how they did against their other running backs. And then I put all of that together into sort of an athletic profile for each one, and it um, came out with their odds of success. And so the way that I compared success was a 1,000-yard rushing season. And the way that I measured that what I measured that up against was a lot of first through third, just, you know, day one or day two running back picks 
dating back to 2015. So guys like Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, Philip Lindsay, Amir Abdullah, um, CJ Procise, guys like that, and just put all of their stats together as kind of the driving force behind my model to look forward into the 2019 season and see which running backs had athletic profiles that fit today's NFL. Nice. Very nice. And, and what did you uncover with, with the, with this, with this model? I mean, it, it's all, it's all out there on Twitter, right? So there's nothing to be on a paywall so you can really talk about mm-hmm. it. Um, what did you uncover? Yeah. What, what, anything that was super surprising to you, any running backs that stood out that just kind of shocked you? Um, I'd say the most surprising things were that Josh Jacobs, even though he's by far the consensus 101 in this draft, and I still have him ranked so, um, just from an athletic profile, he was fourth on my in my model behind Miles Sanders, number one, um, by a pretty wide margin, and then David Montgomery, number two, and Damian Harris, number three. So his fall, like, his fall just compared to where he's ranked was a surprise to me, even though he was still graded out as one of the four successes in this class. But um, Benny Snow and Bryce Love were kind of sneakily right past that success line and could see, I mean, Benny Snell's in Pittsburgh, so I don't know how much work he's going to get, but Bryce Love, um, I like him as a sneaky later running back pick. Yeah, and, and you said you were higher on David Montgomery than the consensus. because And one of the things I think we heard going into the draft, I mean, he didn't have a great combine, right? Not that mm-hmm. he was horrible, but he certainly didn't stand out and separate himself from the pack. And, and he, he's, you know, when he came to Chicago, I'm in Chicago, big Bears fan. One of the things that he said to the media was like, oh, man, I, I really want to have a better combine. And I think that that, that hurt me a little bit. Um, but But you just said – athletically you know he he's you know he was what number three you said number three so can you talk Uh, a little bit number two number two so can you talk about that yeah so i mean i saw so scott barrett is one of my favorite follows on twitter and the first like him and mike clay kind of got me started on the whole analytics nfl in the first place and so i always saw his tweets as well about david montgomery kind of building up some hype and i looked into him and his missed tackles stats in college um he is the number one and number two um, most successful seasons ever for most missed tackles forced in a season, um, which obviously speaks well to his ability to just evade tackles in the NFL as well. And he's also walking into some great opportunity. So the second part of my model, um, I got an athletic profile first, and then I compare that against just what is available due to free agency, just people that left, retirements. And so with Jordan Howard going to Philly, um, there's 240 carries from last year's team that are just free. So I think that's a lot of opportunity for David Montgomery to just step in right away and make an impact. Yeah, th- there's been a lot of talk about him in Chicago. And one thing that I think people should realize is during the rookie minicamp, you know, usually it's the first rounders that get treated like the first rounders. And if, if you're drafted in the third round, you're just kind of out there with other rookies. Well, he's getting that treatment mm-hmm. in Chicago. The Bears right. organization – from top to bottom, the scouts to, to Ryan Pace, everybody, uh, Coach Nagy, they were on board with David Montgomery. They love this guy, and mm-hmm. I think he's going to get a lot of touches in Chicago. So I, I definitely think the opportunity is there. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not re- worried about Tariq Cohen or, or Mike Davis. So Yeah, I, th- I, think the, I think the cumulative draft capital that went to him was the third-round pick and a fifth-round pick and a fourth-round pick next year as well. Mm-hmm. So comparing that to Jordan Howard's 
sixth round, I think that just shows how much faith they have in him going forward. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot, a lot to add to that. What ran through my head when you're talking about people lost to retirement and things like that, I was like, I wonder how that would affect it if Frank Gore was on the Bears. That's just kind of this is one of the things because mm-hmm. he's never going to retire and all <laughs> somehow. Uh, so one of the questions I had with the looking at the running back model, mm-hmm. and you talk about Bryce Love and Benny Snell is, is kind of some some players that you think could have some opportunity, but there there has to be certain dominoes that fall is there any other player that outside of the analytical model like specifically here that you thought would you know like your best like maybe your best guess for success that's listed as as an unsuccessful player here um one player that i really like um he he tested poorly on the analytics but for some reason i just can't shake uh Ryquel armstead going to jacksonville um with Corey grant going to um, Buffalo, I believe, or TJ Yeldon and Fournette just seems to can't really stay on the field and he's got off field drama. I didn't really see them get anybody else. And even though he was a um, fifth round pick, there's just a ton of opportunity there. I think he's got the most opportunity on my model. And even though he tested poorly, I think he's going to have every chance to succeed in Jacksonville and he's going extremely cheap in rookie drafts right now. Yeah, I was actually listening to the, the Dynasty Trade Calculator podcast today, and uh, Izzy Alcafoss from that show said he is picking up Armstead literally everywhere uh, mm-hmm. that, that he possibly could. So that's uh, some good backup there, too, along with – but, yeah, I think you forget that they, they picked up Alfred Blue. But <laughs> he's going to have at least one 100-yard game this season. So mm-hmm. right, of course. the classic Alfred Blue move. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was such a big Fournette fan coming into the draft and out of college that it pains me to I'm, – I'm falling off the wagon um, and maybe, like, holding on and dragging my feet in the dirt behind it. But, uh, yeah, it's a, I think that's a, that's a great great insight into – is it Ryquel or, or, like, Rookwell? Or do you know that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I try not to get caught up too much on fifth-round picks in the first place, but this one I just can't really seem to – get past it something about him so i'm excited to see what he does next year hey ryan you've no i'm sorry um you've got in your tier five handcuff priority you've listed tony pollard who went to dallas but there's also another running back there that went later but it's mike weber who had a good combine Mm -hmm. who a lot of people were somewhat high on going into the draft so what makes you think that that pollard is the handcuff over mike weber um, I mean, I think draft capital obviously can't be ignored, but as well, um, his receiving marks at Memphis were great. I mean, he could, I could honestly see him just kind of splitting out as a slot receiver some as well. Um, just his receiving work is great, and I, I'm pretty sure I heard positive remarks on him in the pass protection. And so, I mean, Mike Weber had more um, intense competition in college, so I don't know if that's going to battle it out in training camp, but I feel like with some rookie drafts, I know some are later in the offseason. I think they'll be able to listen to some offseason buzz. But right now, just Tony Pollard's receiving ability. I know Mike Weber can as well, but I just really like Pollard. That was, one, that was one pick I picked up kind of at the hunt at the end of the one, like, regular rookie draft I've been in was I went – I just forgot the name. <laughs> what the, the other guy from Ohio State. Mike, I went Mike Weber over Pollard. I, I can't really explain why, other than that, I just feel like Weber fits the role of a grinder more mm-hmm. in, that, in that offense. That was literally the only hunch. And it was, you know, you're talking fifth round, choosing between those two. 
And I think I could still pick up Pollard. I might go do that right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it does make you wonder if Pollard might just be annoying for Zeke owners where he's going to have a role in that offense and do they have him on the, you know, on the field on some third down, you know, plays where maybe Zeke would have been out there instead. Maybe they, maybe they want him in, in that role. So that, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves with, with Tony Pollard and if that really drives you crazy as a Zeke owner. <laughs> uh, so Ryan, let, let's get into wide receivers. And, and this wide receiver class is fascinating and not, not that the running back class is cut and dry, but I feel like there's more clarity with the running back class, at least definitely at the top versus the wide receiver wide receivers in this class, because you had so many wide receivers that people were high on that got drafted late. And then you have mm-hmm. some wide receivers that we weren't talking about. We weren't talking about McCole Hardman, let's be honest. And right. all of a sudden, Oh, he goes to Kansas city, the second round. Wow. So mm-hmm. what, what, what <laughs> let's make some sense of the yeah. wide receivers. What, what did you discover uh, with this uh, wide receiving class? Yeah. So, I mean, everywhere on, fantasy twitter they talk about 2019 being a great wide receiver class kind of thin running back and so just as a statistical guy my first instinct is to go out there and just prove the other thing you know just to as like a statistics approach but i mean what everybody is saying is definitely true this wide receiver class is much deeper than the running back class and i find after doing this study i found myself liking a lot of these guys and just seeing a lot of scenarios where things can go really right for them even though my model only has five successes um, for short-term success, but I really like about eight to 10 of these guys a lot. So. Hmm. Interesting. So, so let's say we, we get into the middle. Uh, let's get, we get past the top of, of the draft. You know, you've got in some order, you got Harry, you got the three running backs, probably um, Jacob Sanders and Montgomery. So you're, you're at the one of five and, and, and so how, what, what are you thinking at, at that point in the draft? Uh, um, let, let's say it's a, it's a one QB, not non super flex league. What, what are you thinking in terms of wide receivers or are you tempted to take one of the tight ends above any of the wide receivers at that point? Can, can I answer this for him? Cause he did earlier. He'd take AJ Brown. I got a five man first tier and Brown's right at the bottom of that tier, but I like tier two a lot as well. Okay, AJ Brown. So I thought we were recording. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, we were recording them, but that's okay. Um, uh, so AJ Brown, yeah. I mean, what what the the thing with AJ Brown, of course, the big knock is just people are worried about landing spot and that that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, but but yeah, I mean, go, I think going in the draft, he was he was right up there. And um, any anything you want to address in terms of landing spot? What about opportunity for AJ Brown? What did the model look like in terms of opportunity? Because it has been said that. You know, if you, if you go back past the, the previous year, um, they, they've, they've lost some options they used to have in the offense. They had uh, Matthews, for example, who's, who's no longer there. A couple of years ago, was it two or three years ago, was, was fantasy viable. So what do you think about the situation that A.J. Brown is in? Yeah, so the, the wide receiver model, um, a cool thing about it that I did was that I actually – so it incorporates the athletic profile, you know, the combine stats or pro day for those that weren't at the combine. Um, and it also includes just the quality of the available targets. Like for running backs, it was just number of carries overall that were gone. But with the database that I created um, over the past few seasons, I was able to separate the targets that are actually available in Tennessee now, separate them by short and deep targets, and then as well as their completion percentage for each, and just kind of get a qualitative measure of the t- targets that are out there. Because there can be a lot of targets in somewhere like 
New York Giants with Odell Beckham leaving, but just because those targets are out there doesn't mean that Darius Slayton is going to go out there and do what Odell Beckham Jr. did, you know. But with Tennessee, um, they're actually the third most valuable opportunity is what I marked it as, um, valuable opportunity in the targets. And so A.J. Brown, even though they get a knock on Tennessee, um, my model still has him as a success due to his college production and the opportunity in terms of a value standpoint um, into next year. Yeah, that's what'd fascinating. What did you do with Delaney Walker and Johnny Smith's targets, being that both of them are coming off injury and Delaney's super old? And I'm not sure – I don't think – is John going to be ready for the season? I, I, I haven't read much positive about it. Yeah, I'm not sure about Janu. Um, I took – I just took like an eighth of those targets for two weeks of the season in case it took a little bit of lag time and just added those into the shorter targets. That makes sense. I think that, I think that provides some good scope for A.J. Brown's projection for this year because I, I, I've been so down on him. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing with like the short targets – um, I believe I tweeted this in my thread, but there were certain short targets available for short yardage guys like Arcega Whiteside that were available, while deeper targets like in Arizona are available for Hakeem Butler. So it might be more of a short-term impact for Hakeem Butler over Andy Isabella, even though I have Isabella higher um, as a dynasty asset. One thing I think that bears mentioning, I'm glad to hear you talk about A.J. Brown. I think he's he's becoming one of my favorite values in rookie drafts. And I think that he's going to be even more so a buy as we get closer to the season. So, you know, uh, last year notwithstanding, because uh, Marcus Mariota couldn't fill his freaking arm, which I think would make it very difficult to throw of football, let alone at the NFL level. So I went back and looked at the year before, and Marcus Mariota the year before um, in, in 2017 attempted 450 passes. He attempted the same number of passes the year prior. So two straight years of 450 passes. If you look at the way those were split up, his number one target two years ago received 111 targets. That was Delaney Walker. His second leading target um, receiver that year was 87 and third was 83. So I I don't think anybody believes Delaney Walker is still going to be leading that team in targets. But I I think at this point you have to realize that there's a very, very good possibility when you look at the pass catchers in that offense, that AJ Brown is almost guaranteed 70 to 80 targets this year. And yeah, I, I think that that's probably a number that realistically could be a conservative estimate because I don't believe that Delaney Walker is the kind of guy that's going to, you know, soak up 111 targets at this point of his career. That's probably the area Corey Davis is going to find himself in. And and so there's a very real possibility that AJ Brown working probably as like a big slot with a guy like Walker and a guy like Davis on the outside could really find some favorable spots in the field, especially if the, if they, really utilize Derrick Henry in the, in the rushing game and give him 18 to 20 runs rushes a game. I, I think the defenses are going to have to respect that. There's going to be an incredible opportunity for play action and the open area in the middle of the field that A.J. Brown, I think, is so good at finding open spots in the zone or, or the, the route running to get open. I, I just think that his upside is so much bigger than people are giving him credit for um, in this offense. So I don't – I think that – both Corey Davis, honestly, and A.J. Brown, both are going to be buys for me in the coming months. 
Where's your Where's your buy at Trey? Let's just say in a rookie draft, if he's not taken by the the two hundred one, are you trying to move up to get him, or are you just oh AJ Brown? That? Yeah. Oh, dude, if he's available the two hundred one, I'm I'm jumping all aboard <laughs> to try to get him. I I would take him as high as, I mean, if it's if it's a non super flex draft and he's available at one hundred eight, I'm doing what I can to trade in and grab him, um, because I I don't think, I mean. He is a very, very good wide receiver. And, and I think that it's incredible the hit his stock has taken it with the landing spot, you know. And, and we just we, – we know about landing spots. Landing spots change and opportunities change. And so I, I think that because of the landing spot, A.J. Brown has, has dropped as far as where you can get him. And I think it's hurting Corey Davis. I think there's people that, that think Corey Davis now is a sell because A.J. Brown's in town. And, and that's just not the case, man. And people are wanting to write off Mariota. And, I mean, I, I just think that there's an incredible opportunity. So, if A.J. Brown's available at 108, at, at that point, from there on to me, he's a screaming value. It's going to be such a fun situation to watch in Tennessee. What will happen with Marietta this year? Because he's, he's a ta- – I, I think he's a talented quarterback. I think he has potential. The injuries really has, have set him back. What about Adam Humphreys? We haven't talked about Adam Humphreys. Where does he factor in this equation? Does he, does he ruin things for A.J. Brown his, his rookie year? Going to be really interesting to watch. Ryan, I, I've got a question for you. You've got a guy in Tier 2 that's a little bit shocking to me, and that's Jalen Hurd. So talk about how he ended up in tier two of your model. Yeah. So Jalen Hurd actually surprised me too, which is one of the things that I love most about just this modeling process. I try not to let any biases get in the way. And so when I saw Jalen Hurd popping up, he was actually just from an athletic measurement. He was the number one wide receiver on my model, which I think might just be to do his running back nature, just kind of a speed guy, but also six, five. Um, he just, his reception share. So my production goes from reception share and yard share in their final season, as well as touchdown share and yards over the past two seasons. So that's kind of when Jalen Hurd kind of came onto the scene at Tennessee and Baylor. And so his production was just really great with his six, five frame um, had great bench press and three cone and vertical jump marks. And so just from a co- from a college production standpoint with the, opportunity available in San Francisco we're not sure how that's going to break down with Debo and Dante Pettis and Kittle and all the running backs that they have but just from an athletic kind of freak in nature combine um, perspective Jalen Hurd was too good for me to take out of the second tier even though I really didn't expect him to be there which is why he was kind of near the bottom of the second tier but yeah it was just too good to be ignored he also has 10-inch hands, so he's one of Ryan's favorites. Oh, I love it. Love big right. hands. Love some big so mitts on my wide receivers. A, a quick little story. So I had a coworker coming to town who's from, uh, I think, around the Houston area, but went to Baylor. And he knew about uh, Jalen Hurd's recruiting coming to Baylor. So Jalen Hurd was on his way out to the West Coast, and I believe was driving, but like uh, called Matt Rule. Who, you know, after the whole like Baylor like meltdown of a program, but he, he called Baylor and was like, hey, one way out, you know, to, to the West Coast. I'd like to work out for you guys. And they were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on down. Uh, we, we'd love to have this. And so he ended up working out and sold him on the program. And he really excelled there. And, you know, because he had to set out a year and then really excelled as a, as a receiver. I'm super intrigued by him as, a, as an athlete. And I've, I've heard a rumor, but I haven't found any confirmation about any sort of attitude problems. 
Other than that, he was t- he didn't want to get more concussions at Tennessee, and that's why he left the program because they wouldn't move him to wide receiver. But when he went to Baylor, he went all in. He went on some short yardage runs, and he was he was plowing into it. Like he bought into the program. And I, to me, from what I've seen and heard from a Baylor grad now, uh, he was a, a total team player. And along along with that, his athletic profile and general size and just run after the catch skills are going to be incredible. I, I don't have like over like I'm not like boosting him up, you know, trying to boost him up too high. But I would I just love scooping up Jalen Hurd, and he has ten inch hands, Ryan. Uh, sorry, at, at Roto Librarian. He's <laughs> <laughs> um, any any other any other standouts, Ryan, in in terms of wide receivers. Um, I, I really like um, Gary Jennings Jr. Um, in Seattle. Um, so DK Metcalf, I kind of see as a shorter distant just because he's so physical and big and he can he can definitely break off some long passes too but I think I like Gary Jennings Jr. alongside Lockett with Russell Wilson just giving him some weapons Um, I really liked his production at West Virginia um, what he did with Greer and Sills um, out in the field with him so I think he's kind of an interesting guy that I'm willing to take a a later flyer on Um, he just he tested really well in the model and his combine stats were impressive as well. And so even though he was a fourth-round pick and they traded up um, for DCAF, DK Metcalf in the second, um, I really like Jennings' potential. Yeah, I, I, I think that's an interesting call and an intriguing guy that, uh, I'll be honest, I didn't hear – I don't know if I heard anything about him, you know, really going into the, the draft. And he, he's certainly in that situation that he's in. Looks like he's going to have a pretty good opportunity. Ryan, <clears throat> talk about uh, Hakeem Butler. What, what are your thoughts? I, I know you've got him here in your in your tier two, under the the guise of talent, but less immediate opportunity. And and you actually have him uh, in one tier above Andy Isabella. Um, and, and I don't hate that. I, I think that Hakeem Butler has been a kind of kind of a puzzling guy for me. And he's a guy in a couple of my rookie drafts I've taken in the in the mid second round because I just felt like that value was too hard to pass up in, in a full PPR type league. So tell me what you see for him and, and uh, you know, what your thoughts are as far as your, your model and, and where you think that he um, shines and, and what your, what your kind of thoughts are as far as his opportunity to have early production in the NFL. Yeah. So I was, I was one of those guys before um, the combine before the draft that had Akeem Butler as their 101 receiver. I just really liked what I saw out of him. The breakout age didn't really concern me too much, but then when draft day came around, he kept sliding until ultimately first pick in the fourth round, I believe. Um, it kind of surprised me, but I'm, I'm thrilled about his landing spot in Arizona. I think, um, I think um, Kyler Murray is the real deal. And I really like, um, just the opportunity there in Arizona. Um, so with Larry Fitz is obviously going to be there until he's done. So that's that's kind of why I had Isabella tier three. And I believe I called it just let the Hall of Famer play it out because nobody's going to replace Larry Fitz's role. And Isabella can do more than just the slot. But from what I heard after the draft by Steve, K- Steve Kime and Kingsbury, they were talking about him primarily in the slot. And then they went out and got – Hakeem and Keyshawn Johnson kind of on the perimeter. But I think Hakeem is an interesting piece that goes with Christian Kirk. Um, Just in that college style offense, I mean, Kyler Murray had the highest um, average depth of throw in NCAA history last season. 
And we know Hakeem Butler can make a lot happen on deep throws just with his size and ability, just ball tracking ability. So I think it's an interesting if I'd say if Arizona project pans out with Kingsbury and Murray, which I believe it will, then Hakeem Butler is in a great spot. And that's an interesting observation about Isabella that some people may not be thinking about because I like Andy Isabella a lot, but there is a chance that maybe his value decreases. Usually wide receiver's value, it will decrease, especially if he's behind fits for one more year. So that's, that's a, a great observation, something to, to put in your back pocket because you might be able yeah. to acquire him pretty Isab- cheap next year. Yeah, Isabella was my third wide receiver before the draft, and I think – I think Isabella is a very strategic pick. If you're a contender with a late first, mid-second round pick, maybe you stumbled across um, and you have some time to let him just develop, I really like his skill set. And I think he and Murray will get some great chemistry going as well. And so I think if you can afford to stash him, if you don't need an immediate boost to your lineup, I don't know what Isabella can do in 2019, but I really, really like his career outlook. So Ryan, we're getting short on time here. Let me get you out of here with this. Just getting away from rookies for a second in your dynasty leagues, what, can you name some sleepers, some guys you're targeting that that you can get for for cheap? Maybe you're in your rookie draft and it's the third round and you don't like anyone that's on the board and you're trying to trade for a veteran. Who who you know who who are some veterans you could get cheap for like third fourth round rookie picks? Um, well, third round I'm not really sure. Um, I re- my first article at DLF is actually about D.D. Westbrook. And I think he's poised for a great season. And I had him priced at, I believe he's going for the 202 right now. So if you can get a third round and maybe a veteran who's maybe like Doug Baldwin and a third for D.D. Westbrook and maybe a third as well, just because of the uncertainty with Baldwin, um, I'd, I'd really like to buy low on D.D. Westbrook and thank he and Foles. Um, that was a thread of mine on Twitter as well. But specifically where Foles is great. DD is also the best on Jacksonville's roster by a large margin. I think he has, can have a great season. <laughs> Follow-up question. Is there any hope for Keelan Cole? <laughs> or is he just done? <laughs> Foles, Foles just something about the deep throws. He loves – he's amazing in the short-term throws, the short perimeter. But Keelan Cole, uh, the skill set, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, I would love to see it. Marquise Lee coming back as well. Who knows what they're going to shake up with Foles there instead of Bortles. I like the D.D. Westbrook call. I think that's, that's, a, that's a great call. And, and someone that is off a lot of people's radars, but he's certainly going to have the opportunity and the quarterback that can help him a lot this year. All right. So any other final thoughts, guys, before we, we sign off? No, I appreciate you coming on, Ryan. I appreciate you coming and sharing. And I, I, it was very interesting looking through your – various Twitter threads with the, with the wide receivers and the running backs and looking at each of the different images and, and kind of each, uh, I'm pretty excited to see. I, I was really excited when I was looking at, you know, the success rate that this model has had in the past few years, as far as predicting whether, whether these guys will be successful or not. So it'll be interesting to watch and, and see um, how, how well the model kind of pegged this 2019 class. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, rising on DK Metcalf again now. <laughs> Played with my emotions. <laughs> so Ryan is at Ryan Miller NFL on Twitter. Please follow him. Check him out if you're not already. You're, you're missing out if you're not following Ryan. Um, we are at FF Joes on Twitter. We're the Fantasy Joes. We appreciate you listening. You can also become a Patreon supporter. Go to patreon.com slash Fantasy Joes and check it out. Patreon supporters get a bonus episode 
twice a month during the off season, so you want to check that out. So on behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are the Fantasy Joes. Keep yourself up and quad me over. <laughs>